Well, welcome to week two of this series, Don't Be a Flake. And maybe you missed last week. Well, maybe you flaked out on last week. I'm just joking. It's a great series. It's actually something that's been burning in me for quite a while, like burning as in for a few months back, I was just flustered by some of my friends that are flaky. I mean, we've all got the flaky friend, right? Just imagine them right now in your mind. And, and I was just going, this can't be what the world around us is coming to. And, and it actually, is, it was like one flaky friend after another flake. I had lots of flaky encounters all of a sudden with friends. And I was just like, it seems like it's spreading this flaky thing. And, and I didn't, I, I just like in me, you ever just know when something is like, this can't be right. So I started to study it in scripture. It's often what I do to like help bring me down off the like anger zone. And so I was like, started to read and I, I, I hit Second uh, Timothy 2, 1 and 2, which we'll read in a second. And I was just like, wait, we're being called to be more than flaky. Like we're given the opportunity to, to be reliable as we looked at last week, and God's looking for reliable people that he can empower and trust. And so I was just like, okay, that just endorsed this feeling inside of me. So I guess I can, it could be righteous indignation just versus indignation, right? So I was there justifying my behaviors. But uh, it happened this week. I mean, I just, I was looking for illustrations of it. So, so I totally heard it. I was having lunch this week, just a couple days ago. And right next to me, they were having this dialogue about uh, somebody was waiting in a restaurant for somebody to show up, and they weren't showing up. So it was like the person in the restaurant just waiting, and nobody was showing up. And minute after minute, and so the waitress comes to encourage the person waiting without somebody showing up. And the, and, and the person was like, oh, that's okay. They're, they're, they're always late, and really it's unpredictable whether, whether they'll even show up today. And I was just, my ears perked up because perked up we talked about that last week. And, and the waitress goes, yeah, you know, that's okay. My friends always give me a time to show up for parties like an hour before the actual party because they know I'm going to be an hour late. And I was like, we just talked about that last Sunday, right? And, it's, and then they're like, oh, yeah, you know, lots of people do that now. And they're just like justifying this whole thing. She's like, yeah, when I'm walking out the door, it's just like, I find something else to do, and I'm like, oh, they could just wait, or, you know, and I'm just going, There's, that just drives me crazy. I just have to be honest. It drives me crazy, and so I was listening to this conversation going, this is the place that we're at, so we looked at how do we, like, conquer that thing last week, and what is God doing? He's literally calling to life something within us, which he does throughout Scripture. He's calling to life reliability. Our challenge last week was to live reliable, and we exemplified that through the life of Mary and how she had no idea that she was going to be the mother of the Savior of the world, and there's no precursor we have to her story. It was just an angel shows up and marks her to be trustworthy of carrying the child that is God, and it scared her and it terrified her because she had no idea how this was her duty, but she was like, be it unto me. Okay, whatever you say, Lord. She was reliable. We didn't know until it was called out from within her, this reliability. So we looked at that. Mary proved to be a phenomenal example. 
And uh, we're going to look this week at Joseph in a second. But first, I want to hit again on this passage we closed last week with. And then I'm going to go all Sunday school on you for a second. So last week, we closed with 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. And what it is, is the Apostle Paul, he was one of the guys that was teaching everybody about Jesus' life. And he was like leading people to Jesus and then empowering them to lead people to Jesus. So uh, one of the guys that he led to Jesus called his spiritual son, his name was Timothy. So that's where we get these books of Timothy and uh, as he's instructing Timothy. And so he's instructing Timothy here, his disciple, his apprentice, if you will, in how to do this thing called following Jesus. And this is one of his primary instructions in the second book of Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Trustworthy people. Now, if you're really on the ball, I would highly doubt any of you are this crazy or OCD like me. But if you are, you may realize that's a different version of the same text that we closed last week with. See, we read the NIV 84 version. It's a translation of the Bible last week, which instead of saying trustworthy people, it said reliable men. Maybe you listen to the podcast or the message archive or you're following along with the notes to make sure we weren't teaching heresy, whatever. But, you know, you may have realized and you're going, why are you using two different translations? So this is where I get all Sunday schooly on you. Because I have been told by one of you that this is like Sunday school on steroids anyway, right, Rick? Anyway, so, you know, so that's, I'm going to go there and teach a little bit right here. Bible translations are an interesting thing. And I used to work in a Christian bookstore evangel bookstore and we would sell bibles and so i made mistakes there like the time a person came in and asked if we had any catholic books i was a pretty young christian um and i walked them back to the cult section so that wasn't a good choice um didn't work out well for me that day but after time there i learned um that they love Jesus too. So I moved on and uh, uh, learned more. And one of the things I learned was I learned from this guy named Sumner. Um, I learned all about Bible translations and how to sell the right Bible to the right person as to what they were looking for in a Bible. And you might not have ever really thought about this, but you notice we have like different abbreviations after the different passages we read and it's different translations of the Bible or interpretations of the Bible. And what that means is some Bibles are written for like word-for-word accurate study. Like a bunch of scholars got together and they took the original Old Testament language of Hebrew or New Testament language of Greek. Those are the original languages of those. And they translate those into English in different ways. Some would do word for word. So that would be like a New American Standard Bible or maybe English Standard Version, so ESV or NASB. Or then some people are like, no, that's too confusing. Not everybody wants to study Scripture word for word. So let's make it make sense for the reader. So then there's a bunch of versions that make sense for the reader. The NIV 84, the NIV, the New Living Translation, which, if you've been paying attention, 
we used to use the NIV 84 and then NIV, and now we've been using recently since we launched Sumner Open Life, the New Living Translation, because their English just isn't quite to par with the rest of ours. No, I'm just totally kidding. They had been using the New Living Translation for two years, and so we just wanted to meet in the middle there, and, and we thought it would be a great adventure ourselves to study a different version of Scripture versus just the NIV and become like bored with the same text. There's also the poetic forms of Bible uh, translations. That's like King James Version, New King James Version, the English Standard Version a little bit. So do you feel all the Sunday school moment here? Are you in this? You're taking notes? Look at you guys go. I'm just joking. Uh, And then there's an interpretation that a lot of people quote too, which is called the message. Eugene Peterson, like this is one dude who thought, man, I'm going to really make this, it's, it's more like thought by thought accurate versus phrase by phrase or word for word. It's just like he came up with, I'm going to make the Bible a picture for people. And so he wrote the message. And uh, so there's all these different versions. Why? To help you and me figure out what God is trying to lead us to. Like that's why. So maybe now you've got this version app on your phone or or you've got it on your computer, whatever you go reference, it's awesome when you're reading a passage and you're going, I wonder what this is really meaning. And you can then go to like different translations, different versions. I'll go and look at like the message or the English Standard Version or the New Living Translation or the NIV. I'll look at these versions to go, what are they trying to tell me? Oh, that's what they're trying to tell me. And it can make it come to life without you having to, like, buy commentaries or, you know, that type of thing. By looking at the different translations, you can have it surface the intent of these passages. So it's pretty cool. So I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But that's when you come to the the 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 passage, uh, each translation uses a different word, like reliable, trustworthy. And then next week... Uh, the passage is about being faithful. And so we're spending three weeks, reliable, trustworthy, and then faithful. I just totally gave away next week. But anyway, uh, and and it's a Christmas talk anyway, so it's going to be good. But we can either entrust to reliable men or we can uh, have reliable witnesses now teach these truths to trustworthy people. So what are we trying to say here? What are we trying to say in this? Um, Our big idea today is God is still looking for trustworthy people. God's still looking for trustworthy people. Remember how Mary last week, um, if you read the account in Luke of, of, of Mary hearing from the angel Gabriel, and he says, Mary, you are highly favored. And she's confused and distressed, it says, at what the angel spoke to her. Like she's confused and distressed before she's even told she is going to have a baby and be a virgin. Like that, I understand at that point how you like freak out, right? But she was confused and distressed at the word favor. Like you're favored, Mary. She's like, me? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It was that undeserved like, what do you see in me? Kind of a moment. And so we looked at that. Because the angel called from within her something God had placed in her from birth. Reliability and favor and expectancy. And 
and we look here and we're going, man, Paul is doing the same in the life of Timothy and in the lives of others who are following Jesus. Paul is following this example and saying, hey, there are trustworthy individuals out there, and we're going to call out from within followers of Jesus this character of being trustworthy. It's a very interesting thought. Paul himself had thanks going to God later in, the, or in 1 Timothy, actually. He says in 1 Timothy 1.12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Paul himself had trustworthiness called from within him. And if you know Paul's story at all, if you've read the book of Acts and you've kind of dove into that, Paul, trustworthy? It was definitely called out of him after he experienced Jesus personally. So it's really interesting as we look today at another appointment, another quality being called out of somebody or being found in somebody in the character of Joseph. So you have Mary and you have the one whom she was pledged to be married to, Joseph. And we get to see this moment where Joseph now is appointed to be the father of Jesus. And we can discover some stuff about being trustworthy through this. So Matthew 1, 18 through 24, I'll read. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to make Mary or to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Didn't wake up and go, whoo, wow, I put some funky pepperoni on that pizza. That's crazy, right? Somehow this guy wakes up and is like, must have been an angel of the Lord and not just my dream. I'm going to do this, right? I mean, he had decided. He had made his decision to leave her, and then he wakes up from a dream and goes, okay, let's do this, right? It's crazy. In fact, I was really, you know, I try to imagine a scenario as I'm reading it in Scripture. So I was like, I was like what's this really like? I, 
I, I watched a new reality show this week called Rich in Faith about a, a pastor who's kind of connected to the Northwest and speaking at the youth conference that the students are going to. And, and it's like them planting a church. It's this reality show. And it was kind of funny and awkward all at the same time watching it. But I was thinking about these shows, you know, Kardashians or Jersey Shore. I'm sure none of you watch this. Um, you know, Dance Moms. I, you know, honestly, I just Googled top reality shows. I've never watched those. Um, and, and so I was like looking at these going, how much, how, what if there's a camera there for the conversation in between Mary and Joseph? Can you imagine how that went down? I mean, how does Mary even go about that? So, Joseph, how you doing? Yeah, by the way, I'm pregnant, right? I mean, how do you just throw that out there? This is unbelievable. I don't even get this. I want to see this conversation. So here's the context of this day, right? She was very likely a really young teenager. In that day and age, they were pledged to be married to one another. It's kind of like an arranged marriage, right? They were pledged to be married. So Joseph was very likely older, and uh, they were pledged to be married, but it could be years that they're pledged to be married before he actually takes her as his wife, as it says there in the end. So you, you go, man, Mary's pretty young here. This is, this is kind of a crazy scenario. And she's approaching Joseph and saying, yeah, so, you know, I'm still a virgin, but I'm pregnant. Joseph's like, who the what the and why, you know, who hooked up my bae, my bae. Right? And he's just kind of mad. And, and can you imagine? So he goes back, and, and this is where we catch the scene because he's like, that's it. He's got two options. It says he's a good man, right? He's really got two options if he follows the law of the Old Testament. One is he finds the dude who knocked up his chick, drags both of them outside the city, and they get stoned to death by everybody, publicly shaming them before killing them brutal, right? The other option, Deuteronomy walks out. If you read that book, it's just like, huh? I'm so glad Jesus came and we live in a season of grace. But, uh, you know, it, the other option was to divorce her, to divorce her, to just call off the marriage. But that as well was kind of like a shaming because it's like, well, what happened? This was arranged. This is done between our families. What are you doing? You know, so, so he decided, right? Context is Joseph decided to divorce her quietly. That's very important wording that's recorded here in Matthew. He was a good man. He was a good man. That's what Matthew wrote because most men would have got angry, would have dragged her outside the city and stoned her to death and been totally right before God doing it. So Joseph took the gracious and loving path that he had decided. Still brutal, right? And then the angel shows up in the dream, and we get the whole craziness of him saying, okay, then I'll take her as my wife. So that's the scene here. But I have questions. I mean, do you ever read and just your doubts kind of rise up in you as you're reading stuff like this? I mean, it's healthy to ask 
questions. So I ask questions like this. If you've read the full context of the, the story of Jesus' birth and the season right after it, you know about 300 kids are killed because the ruler of the land is trying to take out this future king of the world. So he, he hears from these wise men that the son of God is born or the king of the world is born. And so he's like, well, then he's got to be under three years old. Let's kill every kid under three. So like 300 of them are slain. So you know there's like 300 different couples in a position to have a child. Some of those, who knows what the percentage were, were virgins and would qualify potentially to be the parents of the Son of God in this day and this season. Why Mary and Joseph? Isn't that interesting? Now, Joseph was in the lineage of David. So did God choose Joseph or Mary? Interesting to think, huh? Like, there was a lot of trust and reliability being needed here in this whole Christmas story and the whole birth of Jesus story. So this kind of stuff makes me just go, God is way bigger it's easy to tell the story and see the manger and the little cattle lowing and the shepherds come in and we do the drama and, and it's like star in the sky. You know, it's easy and the angels, glory, glory. And it's like, so you, it, we can have these nativities, but the reality is, this is massive. There's prophetic words over generations being fulfilled here. This is beautiful. So what can we learn in this to help us become more trustworthy? How could God use this text to raise up within us something he put in us at birth? So that's what we're going to look at. Three thoughts. The first is sleep on it. Do you notice that, that Joseph gets to that moment where he makes his decision and then he considers the decision that he had made and goes to sleep before ever running in a moment of a fleeting moment of communication. He didn't just sprint right over to Mary's house and say, by the way, it's off. No, he said, I've made my decision. I'm going to divorce her quietly. Time for a nap. Right? And he goes to sleep. He sleeps on it. One of the greatest things we could do if we want to experience wisdom is sleep on that decision as we consider the decision that we've made. Right? That's what he's doing here. He makes his decision, but was still considering it. And wisdom sleeps on it. We need to give a window for a decision instead of making quick and rash decisions. Because there's a couple things that are a reality. We need to consider, who are we trusting in? Or maybe, what are we trusting in? The first thing that Joseph was trusting in was the law, right? Totally, 100%. He was a good man. So he was trusting in the law, which said, in this situation, you do one of two things. Stone him, divorce him. So his trust was holy in the law. Or, after the dream, he could trust in the law or trust in God which was massively out of the ordinary for that day. There had not been a, re a revelation from God that people knew of for over 400 years 
So he's supposed to just like, oh yeah, this is God speaking to me in this dream. It's been 400 years. It's been multiple generations before somebody had come out and said, oh, by the way, God just spoke to me. 400 years. Imagine that. And your dream is the first experience. You're going to trust in that? That's the decision Joseph had to make when he woke up. That's crazy. But the other thing is, we need to consider who's trusting in us. Not just what are we trusting in or who are we trusting in, but who's trusting in us? Have we thought of that? Like, who's, who's trusting in Joseph to make the right decision here? All of humanity. Like, that's a big trust God put on Joseph's shoulders. Like, the son of God. Wow. This is crazy. So who's trust, who are we trusting in and who's trusting in us? And maybe you can look at your, your life and go, meow. Okay, I get, I get it. Like, I've been making some decisions and not kind of counting both those, those elements. Maybe before you make a, a poor decision, you realize who's trusting in me to make the right decision. Family, boss, kids, community, spouse. I mean, when we consider the cost of a decision and the ripple effect of a decision, we make wiser choices instead of just looking at us. Second thought of how to be trustworthy is don't be afraid. Why? God is with you. Don't be afraid. Isn't that what the angel confronted Joseph with? Sure, he was a good man. He knew the law. He knew what to do, right or wrong. But he said to Joseph, first thing, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Was Joseph's decision to follow the law a fear-based decision because he knew what it would be like to be in a relationship with somebody who's having a baby that's claiming to be a virgin and just all he was going to have to deal with was his decision based off of the fear that, you know, people would find out she's pregnant? Was his, you know, what is the fear that is stirring in him? And, and he has to deal with the fear because it's a key element in being trustworthy. We're always going to have fear, but if we let that influence us instead of doing what is right, we'll be in trouble. I would say yes, but, you know, what if I'm the only one there? I can't RSVP first. I'll hit the maybe button. Maybe button. Oh, do not hit the maybe button, right? So it's like, you know, I, I'll, I could say yes to this, but what if something better comes up, Right? I could say yes to this tailgate party, but what I'm hoping so-and-so has a tailgate party. I could say yes to going to the dance with this person, but what if this person asks me? I'm just kidding. Uh, you know what? You know, it's that kind of a reality, though. I could say yes to this job, but I'm really hoping I get this job. We have decisions all around us, and is it based off of the fear of us being the only ones that say yes? Or the only ones that say no? I'd say no, but I think everybody else is going to say yes, so if I say no, it'll look bad. So there's fear involved in decision-making. We're being challenged here to not fear and trust that God will be with us whatever choice we make. 
throughout the book of Psalms, if you ever read it, just to be encouraged. One of the things you'll see over and over again is it says, God blesses the desires of our heart. Choose your path. He'll bless it. Instead of finding his blessing on which path, what if you choose your path and trust he'll bless it? Because he's going to be with you. Anyway, moving on. You know, so it's like fear is an area of our life that shows the absence of our faith in God. So we really need to weigh, uh, really consider this source of fearlessness being the presence of God in our life. And if we've yet to choose to follow Jesus and we're, we're dealing with fear a lot, it might be a great thought to open our hearts up to God because that's where the source of fearlessness comes from. Courage that's deeper than you could learn. So one of the things that I've not been able to let go when considering this story, I've just not been able to release the thought, is Joseph is, is, has the ability of making this lawful decision to leave Mary. But if he chose to go through with divorcing her, the Son of God would grow up in a fatherless environment. And maybe you're aware of the reality of the world we live in and all the realities of fatherlessness that are in the world that we live in right now. It's messed up to consider, but just it's been nagging at me the context, in the context of this talk that how many men make marriage-ending choices due to a lack of wisdom or trustworthiness and how many fear working through tough issues and tough moments or having that child or maybe the child comes and then we become part of a statistic. 43% of children in the United States grow up in a fatherless home. And statistically, it's worse to be in a home with an, uh, a present but absent father than it is to be in a home without a father. Our world has fatherless issues. What if Jesus was born into one? It's a crisis. It's a crisis that we can solve. Maybe God is choosing us to be fathers to the fatherless. Oh yeah, but I already have, I already have four kids, God. So, you know, that's a lot. It's tough to keep up with, right? That's a, that'd be my conversation. And, but maybe there's somebody out there who doesn't have a father that needs a godly example of a father. And we could open our lives up to them. I began to pray about this. I was like, well, why is this thought not, not leaving me? Because maybe, maybe God today, what if God brought you through these doors this morning to inspire you to open your heart and to cast out the fear of doing something about fatherlessness? Doing something about foster kids who don't even have a family. Applause rises up. In the, think about it. If churches, there's so many churches compared to those in foster care. If every church had one family in it that would become a part of foster care, it would solve all foster care. It's kind of weird statistically. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know some do in this room. I'm just like, you know, I think of the fatherlessness issue, and we have passages like Isaiah 1, 17 that says, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans. In other words, defend the fatherless. Fight for the rights of widows. 
What if God brought us here today just to be inspired to be a mentor, to go to a school and read with a child, to go help at recess at a local elementary school, to chaperone a youth event, to become a youth leader, but I'm an adult. I'm like, they won't think I'm cool. They don't need cool people in their life. They need people who love them in their life. Anyway, I could get on that stool and stay there a while. So I'll move on to thought three. How to be trustworthy. Listen to God. Because it's when we hear from God, it's when we hear his voice And Joseph heard it in a dream, but it's when we hear his voice. How do we hear it? Maybe it's in a vision or a dream, but often we can hear his voice in Scripture. We can hear his voice in prayer. We can hear his voice when we're trying to find him in the pages of Scripture. And maybe it's in a daily Bible reading plan. It's not too late to start an Advent reading plan. I'm a few days behind in mine. If you follow me on YouVersion and you see me binge devotionaling, that's because I skipped a few days, right? I apologize. I'm not perfect. But Anyway, I, you know, it's the reality. It's like, man, I, I, we just need to open our lives up to a daily exposure of the Scripture because when we do, we can hear from God. And we now have this technology. We have no excuses. We have the Bible with us even if we didn't know we have one. It's an app. Or you could go onto your computer and read the actual paper. Psalm 5.3 says this, Listen to my voice. In the morning, each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. So that's David talking to God, saying, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. What is he waiting for? To hear from God. Are we expectant to hear from God? When we walk through the doors of the church, Are we expectant to hear from God? Because that's what church is for. Right? That we would come and be inspired and hear from God. A word, him calling something out from us that we didn't even know was there until it was awakened. What if we listen to that? And it changes our course. Maybe even our decisions. Matthew eleven fifteen says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. That's Jesus. He said that over and over again. You could read that over and over again as well when the churches are being confronted in the book of Revelation. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. What if we listened not just to hear, but to understand? I think that's how we should read the Bible. I think that's how we should pray. I think that's how we should receive from God. That's how we should listen to the community around us. Man, what if I could actually understand what the community needs? What if I could actually understand how to apply this challenge? We need to listen to God. I hope you're listening. Maybe in you, you're being challenged to to listen and become a father to the fatherless. Maybe you're listening and you realize you've made some fear-based decisions and you're, you're hearing that today. Maybe you're just going to be, if you take an honest look at your life, like I would mine, I'm more tempted to just do all the talking and not listen. <laughs> so it's like, okay, God, I remember I need to pause. 
I need to yield. And listen, the challenge today, the action point, if you would, is to live trustworthy. Not grammatically that happy, as was pointed out in our communication meeting this week. You know, it might not be the right way of saying it, but live trustworthy. We need to have a life that's marked by being trustworthy. And what if a church could rise up that listens to understand, that lacks fear, that courageously loves, that pursues God's will just with an abandon? What if we loved those who were fatherless and made an impact in the world around us this way? We were reliable. We were trustworthy. The world would take note of whom we serve and worship and adore. So where do you need to be trustworthy? Is it in your relationships? Is it in the way you handle decisions? Is it being in the, on the mission with Jesus? Because we're challenged to be people who would lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. What people? People who can be entrusted. So I'm going to do two things. I'm going to pray for you today. And one, I'm going to pray that God would call deep into you and you would listen and you would hear that call because we're all called to be trustworthy. You would let that rise up within you and, and, and grab a hold of that today. Others, maybe you need to just choose to follow Jesus so that you can abandon fear, be filled with courage, begin to listen to God, begin to devote yourself to Him in a way that would would make you not a flake because you realize I may be that one, right? I may be that option on the flaky list. I'm the maybe button pusher. Well, I want to pray for you today and watch God rise up in and through you to be courageous. So God, I thank you for the opportunity you give us to follow you. I pray that Lord today, right now, if somebody in this room is yet to make that decision, And maybe it's been fear that's kept them from choosing to follow you. But God, if somebody in this room needs to choose to follow you, would you allow them to listen to that nudge today in their heart and just invite you into their life? It's simple. All you have to do is pray and say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I want to learn to follow you. Here I am, God. I choose you, Jesus. Others in this room, Lord, are hearing the nudge of the Holy Spirit in their life to do something. And, and the natural response is going to be to, to figure out what the right choice is. So as they sleep on it, God, may you give them wisdom. Because sleeping on it's a wise choice. And God, others, are, they're, they're, they've felt that call for a while to make a difference in the lives of the fatherless. Awaken that. Awaken that in them. Joseph made a right choice and Jesus had a mother and a father God what if we could be fathers to the fatherless in the world around us call us Lord call us out and may we listen give us ears that would hear in Jesus name I pray amen